Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for taking time to be with me today, however long you can stay. I'd love for you to uh, stay the whole two hours, but if you can't and you miss any of the show, you know you can always go to MyFaithRadio.com. Check out the podcast because there's always such amazing guests with so much to learn, which is one of the things I love about this show is it's a place where you can joyfully learn about uh, God and His Word and how to follow Him more closely. And then every Tuesday, I get also a chance to talk to Rob Bluey, who is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. I love finding out what's going on in our nation's capital. He lives in the Washington, D.C. area. And I always enjoy talking to him, getting my Tuesdays started with Rob Bluey. Rob, welcome. Hey, Bill. It's good to be with you. Thanks for having me back. Of course. So, you know, I've been slightly disturbed lately with uh, the incredible violence that's going on in our country. It it seems to be uh, worse everywhere. And... I don't know what the root cause of this is and what we can discuss. Uh, if you have any ideas, let me know what they are. Well, it is truly uh, disturbing, and it's uh, also upsetting, I think, to a lot of people that uh, some of our political leaders aren't taking it seriously or as seriously as, as it deserves. Uh, you're right, Bill. This is a problem that we've seen in our country dating back almost a couple of years now uh, to the summer of 2020 when a lot of riots broke out over the summer. Uh, people frustrated with COVID lockdowns and obviously uh, the death of George Floyd precipitated a lot of uh, a lot of what took, transpired and took place. But what we've seen since then is uh, an uptick in crime in cities across the country. Now, some of these cities have been plagued with problems for a long time. Chicago comes to mind as an example of that. Uh, but you would think that weekend after weekend of of homicides and other other crime would inspire the leaders in those cities to seek other solutions and i think if there's people are frustrated particularly you saw this on friday with the funeral for the new york city police officer uh, when uh, so many people turned out uh, to to remember his life and uh, and the mayor uh, who is uh, you know very close to the police in new york uh, was there as well so I, I hope to start seeing changes, although it's it's not encouraging when they tend to focus on things that have been tried and failed in the past. Uh, but particularly speaking about gun control, uh, you know that is where the left always seems to automatically go. And I'm not sure that that is the first solution. I think that it's mm-hmm. a much more fundamental problem, and it comes down to things like the breakdown of the family, the loss of religion in, in people's lives. Uh, you know, the lack of strong fathers, for instance, uh, mm-hmm. for, for many of these boys. So uh, a number of those societal factors, I think, are, are a root cause. And I'm starting to read reports and starting to think, well, here's the headline in the Minneapolis paper today. A student was killed and another injured in a shooting outside a high school. I think, yeah. oh, boy, that is uh, it's happening more and more all the time. It, it, it sure is. It's just tragic uh, to, to hear about those, uh, particularly when it, you know, any life, but I mean, right. particularly somebody so young. And and Bill, uh, right here in Washington, D.C., I mean, it's a problem as well. So, I mean, we see those headlines. 
And again, I, I think that one of the challenges that we need to confront and address are why is this is this taking mm-hmm. place in our country right now uh, after years of making so much progress i mean this goes goes back you know a couple of decades now where we consistently saw year after year a uh, lower number of uh, of crimes taking place so we've seen this uptick recently and and i think the other thing that we have to remember here is this is probably in some way connected to the labor issue in this country there are fewer people who are are actively looking for work. There are more, particularly men, who are, are, are sitting out of the labor force. And those are issues that uh, have, have related uh, consequences uh, to crime in some cases. And so I, uh, I don't pretend to have all the answers, Bill, but I think it's worthwhile for us to maybe focus less on the, the partisan bickering in Washington and focus on uh, solutions for our future. I agree with that, Rob, and I'm, I'm concerned, too, about some of the soft on crime positions that are happening across the the U.S. Obviously, we want to live in a country, in a city, in a neighborhood where we feel safe. And if we don't have that feeling, I think it's uh, it's going to be very troubling, uh, especially as we enter the next midterm elections. I think it's going to be front and center as an issue. Oh, I think you're right. I think this this will definitely uh, be an issue that is on the minds of of many voters, particularly if you're living in a community where you are seeing the consequences on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. I mean, if this is uh, if this is something that you're going to bed at night worried about, uh, there's no doubt that it'll be front and center when you, you head to the polls. I think that's why Eric Adams was elected mayor of New York. He was hardly the most progressive candidate in that race, but I think he tapped into an issue and the concerns of that community and uh, that motivated him and propelled him into elected office. And so in some cases, yes, the issue of inflation will probably be an issue that motivates people to, to the polls. I, I imagine the issue of life and abortion will be another one, particularly after the Dobbs decision is handed down in June. And crime will be uh, another major issue that, uh, that is on their mind. Yeah, I saw a story uh, about a Golden Corral restaurant in Pennsylvania. 40 people ended up in a big brawl because somebody cut in line um, and they were running out of steak in the buffet. So 40 people are fighting and going, this is, this is how uh, energized people are, how, how, how they're ready to go off at any minute. It's, You're right. It's road rage in a, in a golden corral. It's it's really really sad that, yeah. uh, that we're seeing this breaking point for for so many individuals, and I, I think that it's probably a number of factors. Again, it's the stress that we've been under because of of two years of of government restrictions and mandates and lockdowns, uh, divisive rhetoric coming out of not only Washington but many state capitals and local communities as well. Uh, right here in in our nation's capital, the mayor has basically told. The majority of the the black population in Washington D.C. that they are not permitted to go eat in the restaurants uh, mm-hmm. to enjoy. And I say because there's a majority of black residents in Washington D.C. who are unvaccinated, and uh, and obviously you know that is having uh, repercussions and consequences. And mm-hmm. so I, I I don't mean to point my finger just at COVID. I know that there are probably other societal factors involved here, Bill. But uh, but I think that our political leaders need to think about some of the choices that they're making and uh, and the effects that it's having on our population. Mm-hmm. Three big retirement announcements, but only two I can talk about. One is Justice Breyer and the other one is Tom Brady. I think we can focus on Justice Breyer because um, he is retiring 
after the uh, decisions in June, and they're looking for a replacement. And they're, I, I think they're they're going to, the nominees are down to an African American woman. Yes, you're absolutely right. President Biden has stated that he will uh, honor his campaign promise to select a, a black woman for the vacancy. Now, this is interesting because this uh, this is unprecedented, frankly, in, in American history, where as a candidate who was behind in the polls and looking for, in some ways, uh, a message that would resonate with the voters of South Carolina, Joe Biden said, if you elect me, I will take this action. Mm-hmm. And so people probably headed to the polls thinking, okay, I, you know, this is particularly in a state like South Carolina, where we know that uh, the black population has significant influence. And so now he is following through on that promise. Uh, that is uh, that is not something that historically uh, has been done when it comes to the selection of a, of any judge, frankly, but particularly a Supreme Court nominee. So the interesting thing here, Bill, is it's not polling well at all with the American mm. people. Mm. An ABC News Ipsos poll from over the weekend found that 76 percent of Americans disagreed with President Biden on this and said that the candidate that he selects for the Supreme Court should be the most qualified judge to take that job. And so I think that this has a potential to backfire on Biden in in a way that he probably did not expect. Uh, He might be appeasing some of those within his own party, but I think that when you have 76% of Americans who disagree with you on something, that obviously cuts across party lines. Yeah, I mean, if if the president would have said, because they didn't ask me about this, they didn't probably consult you, but had they done this, they might have heard this, which was say to the American public, you're going to find the most qualified, competent person who knows the law, is full of integrity, and is going to be the most amazing Supreme Court nominee. And then two weeks later, nominate an African-American woman. Right. That, that was, that's certainly one, one approach that he, he could have used. But for whatever reason, he decided to, to not do that and make it overtly political. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, is, uh, that is something that I think is unfortunate, but uh, it's a decision that he decided to make. And now uh, we find ourselves in a situation here in Washington where Breyer, uh, the current sitting justice on the Supreme Court, said he wants to finish out his term uh, through the end of June. There are some several major cases that, that are at stake. And so I, I don't know how quickly the Senate is going to move. Now, Biden said that he will have a nominee by the end of February. So, uh, you know, we're still, still probably a few weeks away from knowing who that, that individual is. But, uh, you know, Amy Coney Barrett was confirmed as something like under 30 days. Uh, and uh, I don't know if the Senate will move as quickly in this case, but you better believe that uh, the Senate Republicans will try to use this as an opportunity um, you know, to highlight maybe some of the, the more radical positions that, that Biden has, has taken and, uh, and his nominee might support. So just as, just as these confirmation battles were intense uh, during the, the Trump years, I expect them to be equally uh, as consequential now, and uh, that is uh, something that has not historically been the norm when it comes to to Supreme Court nominees. Of course, this started with Senator Ted Kennedy, the late Senator Ted Kennedy, when he opposed Robert Bork's nomination in the 1980s, and it's only continued to get worse uh, with Clarence Thomas and then, of course, Justice Kavanaugh being uh, just an absolute uh, travesty of what uh, what we saw take place uh, at the Senate um, and the pressure campaign that was in, in put on U.S. senators. 
Bill, I, I don't expect it to be that bad this time around, but uh, there's a lot of stake here, as you know, when it comes to the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Rob Louie is my guest. He's the executive editor at The Daily Signal. And next, I want to ask Rob about the border and some of these secret flights I've been hearing about. We'll talk about that next. smart with so many good insights. If you have a question for Rob Bluey, let me know what it is. I will ask it on your behalf. You can text your question to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Rob is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can go to dailysignal.com. So, Rob, I'm looking at some of these uh, airplanes in the middle of the night and some of these secret flights and regarding the, the border and what is going on there? Well, thank you for asking about this, Bill. It is a story that is not getting the attention that it deserves from our other friends in the, the news media. Uh, we, we know that the, the crisis on the border is the worst that it's ever been. And uh, frankly, it seems that it's one of those things where the, the news media has decided to, to move on to, to other stories and not get this, uh, this any attention, frankly. So uh, we have seen over the last several months uh, flights taking place during the dark of night of illegal migrants who are being dropped off in places like Florida, New York, Pennsylvania, and Tennessee. And in each of those instances, the state and local officials haven't received any notice that they were coming or even been given an option to refuse uh, their admission into those communities. And so I, I'm not sure exactly what's going on here or why the administration is deciding to do these in the dark of night when, when perhaps no one is paying any attention, but it certainly suggests that there is, uh, is something not exactly right going on. And so this all came to light because there was a r- real explosive secretive uh, video that was, was leaked out, and it's the only reason that we know anything about it. So, Bill, uh, you know, if they want to do this uh, stealth operation, uh, I would at least like them to acknowledge what, what's going on so that the American people can know why uh, some of these illegal immigrants who've made their way across the border are now ending up in communities all across this country. Mm-hmm. So I know the Bluey daughter is too young, but dad and the Bluey boys, are they going to want to get in front of the TV and watch any of the Olympics? <laughs> well, I, 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 my initial instinct is to say no, because <laughs> I, I think that uh, un, unlike um, the Biden administration and NBC News and others who are, are, are at the International Olympic Committee, which frankly aren't doing enough to highlight China's genocide, right. I, I think that Americans should take a stand. And, and part of that could be boycotting the Olympics. And uh, that's not to say we don't appreciate the hard work uh, and athleticism of the athletes. But uh, anytime you're turning on that TV and supporting NBC and its, its commercial ads, uh, obviously you're in some ways uh, turning a blind eye to what's going on in China. So I, uh, I'm personally going to be tuning out the Olympics uh, mm-hmm. this time around. I think it was a shameful decision on the part of the International Olympic Committee uh, to, to pick Beijing to host the Games. 
And what's even more disturbing, Bill, is even after all the pressure that they've come under, they're basically taking the side of China and not even addressing the human rights abuses that are taking place in that country. It is uh, truly shameful. And I think this is why we need a more forceful approach, both from the Biden administration. The diplomatic boycott was a, a minor step. That means we're not going to send our diplomats there. We need this administration to speak out vocally against China. And as this is happening, Bill, as these Olympic Games are beginning on Friday, uh, Democrats in the Senate and House are moving forward a China bill. And they've decided uh, that it's called the America Competes Act, uh, which has been dubbed the American Concedes Act uh, by some Republicans. They uh, have decided that rather than focus on the aspects to hold China accountable, they're going to instead, from a messaging standpoint, talk about this as, as how it would help inflation. So, frankly, I don't understand why people are so cowardly when it comes to confronting China. Uh, but I can tell you that the Daily Signal is going to continue to tell those stories. And even the big tech censors tried to shut us down a few weeks ago when we featured an ex-Chinese citizen talking about COVID. And, uh, and they you know, used the Facebook fact checkers to try to block that piece. We mm. successfully fought it and pushed back, Bill. But, uh, but we need to be uh, on guard for this. Uh, the, the Chinese government, we know the Chinese Communist Party is powerful. That's not to take away from the Chinese people. I know there are a lot of good people, but that, that regime in China is not a friend of the United States or, or the rights and freedoms that we believe in. Mm-hmm. Rob, a listener wanted to know, is there something or someone in Congress, the Senate, we can address the issue of the midnight flights? Oh, yes. I mean, absolutely. Uh, there, are, there are a variety of ways that, that Congress can address this. I, I don't expect them to do much oversight, though, as long as the Democrats are in control. I mean, this is Republicans or Democrats really don't do oversight of the administration that shares the, the same party. So in the same way, Republicans wouldn't necessarily uh, be critical of a Republican president. I don't expect Democrats to be critical of a Democrat. So there are other steps that, that we can do. One of the things that we're doing at the Daily Signal and, and our, our parents, the Heritage Foundation, is we just launched the Conservative Oversight Project, in part because we want to make sure that this oversight is taking place. And uh, we're, we're working very closely with Mark Morgan, who is uh, the former head of, uh, of the Border Patrol and uh, a really knowledgeable person when it comes to what's taking place on the U.S. border. So uh, Mark is, is going to help us navigate this and hopefully raise awareness to members of Congress. So if they do regain the majority in, uh, in, December, in uh, January of 2023, maybe they can start to press the administration to get some answers. Bill, uh, one more thing I'd like to say on immigration is it was a regular routine for the Department of Homeland Security to put out the, the number of people who are apprehended each month. It has become uh, very difficult to get that information, that's that basic number, out of a DHS uh, in, in recent weeks. And it's required even a court order to be able to do so. So I do not know why they continue to hide this information, uh, information that should the, the American people should be able to know. How many people are entering our country from, from the U.S.-Mexico border is now very difficult for us to obtain. Mm-hmm. Regarding, the, regarding the Olympics uh, comment you made, Rob, this is probably not a Rob Bluey question as much as an IT question. But the uh, question was, how does NBC know if we've turned on our TV I think they do have a way of under of registering who's watching what. Well, c- certainly for like things like the Nielsen ratings. I mean, right. there are people who have devices who would um, w- you, you'd be able to do that. But I, increasingly, if you're using a streaming service or digital, I mean, you better believe that they are tracking everything that you do. 
um, whether it's Netflix or Disney Plus or Hulu, all of those services know exactly what you're watching. I mean, this is why when you look for a product on Amazon and then you go to a different website, you see an ad for right. that product served. Uh, I mean, it is, it is incredible. I mean, I think that this is something that we all need to be aware of. There really isn't any privacy anymore, particularly when it comes to so many of these digital platforms. They are tracking your every move, and they better, they, you better believe they know uh, what you're watching. And it's the same way if the Heritage Foundation or, or Faith Radio were to, to place an ad with, uh, with one of these, these services, they would tell you at the end of the day how many people viewed your ad, how many impressions mm-hmm. you received, uh, because they want to tout that um, and sell more ads. <laughs> so that's, that's their business model. Yeah. All right, here's another question from a listener. What is the latest outlook on inflation and the consumer price index? Well, uh, n- not great. Um, we, we saw... Uh, some numbers come out last week, Bill, which suggested that inflation is still on the rise and uh, and there's still cause for concern. This is the number one issue when people are asked about uh, the, what what is top of mind and their chief concern. So I expect that uh, it's going to be an issue that lingers through the elections. I think it's also one of the reasons why President Biden has such low approval ratings. Uh, you know, this is the economy is always first and foremost in the American people's mind. And when they're going to the grocery store or the gas station and they see the price going up consistently day after day, week after week, uh, it's, it's not not good. Now, we keep hearing some happy news coming out of Washington. Uh, but these are just predictions at this point. I mean, they need to actually start embracing some of the policies. And, and part of that is to stop spending so much government money and injecting so much cash into the system uh, that the prices continue to go up. So until that stops, I'm afraid we might not see it. And the Federal Reserve has a big role to play in this as well. And so far, they've not been willing to uh, to take some of the measures uh, and back off uh, this infusion that we need, need to see. Mm-hmm. Rob, over at DailySignal.com. Uh, There's a great story by Virginia Allen that she wrote on how men play a large role in women's abortion decisions. Yes. One of the things we wanted to do for this year's March for Life, which just took place in Washington on a bitterly cold day, uh, was to ask some of the the men who showed up for the march, because so often they're sidelined and uh, and their voices are not heard. And so Virginia purposely asked them uh, to talk about this. And obviously, they, they play an integral role here, Bill. I mean, obviously, it takes a mom and a dad uh, to, to, to have a child and to, to raise a family. So, you know, the, the men obviously uh, have strong feelings about this. And I think that what's so encouraging is to see so many young men who are turning mm-hmm. up for the March for Life and other events uh, to share their feelings on the issue of life. And, and why, as we look to this post-Roe world, hopefully after – uh, after June, uh, we might be in a better situation in this country to save life. Mm-hmm. I love it, Rob, when listeners ask questions and we get to put you on the hot seat. This is kind of fun for me. <laughs> sure is, Bill. I yeah. love it, too. Yeah, you're doing great. So thank you so much. I love this trend of letting listeners ask you questions because it's so informative. Just got a bunch of nice uh, comments. Just got what an excellent show. So informative. Thank you. So thank you, Rob. Thank you, Bill. Have a great week. You Talk bet. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Rob Louie's been my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can always head over there, dailysignal.com. Check it out. All right. Uh, next up is going to be Dr. Alex McFarland, but he was in a panic, so he had to cancel. So my friend Dr. Peter Capture is coming in. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno, Brad 
Welcome back. A man who goes by the name Peter Kaffner is here in studio with me. Peter, hi. <laughs> hi, Bill. Yeah, that is my moniker from what it I is. understand. Yeah. It is indeed. You've it is been indeed. going with that for quite a while. I, yeah, it, it's, you know, for about, yeah, a couple decades and, now. And I understand there's other Kaffners in your family. <laughs> there, there are. It came from a whole brood a whole of Kaffners. A whole long line of them. That is so interesting. You know, and you almost never see that. Yeah, no, it's just... Yeah, you'd never think that there could be a whole family of such people, even, as a matter of fact. I mean, we grew up in a small Midwestern Minnesota town. I'm sure many uh, people are part of the Faith Radio family know the drill of the very large families that sometimes emerge from those small towns. So I think two Capsners showed up maybe in the early 1900s just off of a boat somewhere, and they turned into like 10 zillion of them. It's just amazing how big the families can get sometimes. Was it like Capsner ski and they dropped the ski part? (laughs) It was exactly that. Yeah, I have no idea what the original origin of of the name is. Indeed. So I think it was last week we had a conversation about what was going on in your classroom. As everyone may or may not know, you are a professor here at the University of Northwestern. And one of the um, classes you had recently had uh, students just uh, uh, emotional over the top. Yeah, it really took me aback. I was not at all prepared for it. And it's not like I haven't taught some of these kinds of things before. Mm-hmm. Um, the class was evangelism and discipleship. So we were talking about what is the nature of the heart of the good news. And and again, for context, it's about 30 students in the room. And, uh, and they're going to come from a wide variety of church backgrounds, primarily more conservative-leaning churches that, that have scriptures as an authoritative role in place in their mm-hmm. lives, a lot of pulpit teaching, that kind of thing. I'll certainly have some students that are from uh, Catholic faith as well. And it's just this wonderful blend of mm-hmm. Catholic and Protestant students in the class. I absolutely love it. But there gets to be some commonality in their experience of God, or at least their understanding of God, that I've taught to over the years. That I just think, you know, you're probably struggling or, or stuck in some of these ways, ways familiar for me in which I was stuck in terms of my views of God. So I was just going about doing my normal teaching on what the good news is or the heart of the good news. And specifically talking a bit about that passage in Scripture, I invited them to finish the passage of Scripture where I said, okay, so where our sin abounds, now you fill in the blank. And they said, well, grace abounds all the more. And I said, so what if that was actually true? Not something that we just, you know, winked and nod, but like in our sin, what if what greets us in our sin is grace? And because I think a lot of them, understandably so, stay in hiding with their sin because they're afraid of the potential repercussions of what they perceive to be kind of this perpetually angry father in heaven. And and clearly God has anger towards sin. But when you do a careful study of the text, you recognize that it's not a pervasive characteristic that God has as if that's just how his day is dominated all day. He just walks around stomping around in the heavens, mm-hmm. angry all the time. When anger shows up in the text, it's always a passing characteristic or an energy within the Godhead that it has a specific target in mind to sort of move against for a very short period, even a redemptive period of time to take out some people who are standing in the way of God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. So it's not his char- it's not how he's always viewing the world. And I think for those of us that grew up maybe with authority figures that tended to be relatively angry with us on an ongoing basis, especially in our mistakes, mm-hmm. the thing that didn't abound in the midst of our mistakes was grace. It, you, you were greeted with some kind uh, of um, punishment on some level in the, in the midst of all that. So we were just talking about some of those sorts of things, like how does God act and interact with us? And started teaching some of that uh, again and started getting into a story a bit using the example of understanding that sin is often a power in the text that has a 
the, the metaphor for sin is often leprosy, meaning it's a disease that it might start as a little patch of gangrene on your wrist or something like that. But left unchecked, sin is going to continue to gangrene itself throughout your arms and in your legs, and it'll eventually kill you. You need to be rescued from that somehow. You need somebody to intervene, and you need to have a different power at work because the, the leprosy is going to kill you. And I used an example of saying, so I wonder how God does feel about his beloved in the midst of sin and what would account for this grace abounding in the way that it does. And I use the example of my 22-year-old son, Caleb, who also happens to be in the class right now, which is a a ton of fun to to be with your son in class. And I said, let's say Caleb comes home someday as my beloved, and his foot is maybe dragging in kind of an awkward way. Uh, Maybe his his face is drooping on one side, and he's slurring his speech. Clearly something is wrong with him. Mm -hmm. And my wife, Hallie, and I take him in for a series of tests. We go through the CAT scans and MRIs and, and maybe blood work and all of that. And it becomes very clear uh, that the diagnosis is that he has an inoperable tumor of some kind, uh, maybe in his brain. And, and it's going to go to stage two and three and four and five. It's going to do what cancer does. It's mm-hmm. going to have an origin point, but it's going to wind its way through the body. And it's going to, it's a disease left unchecked. It's going to kill him. So how would, how would a father of a beloved son interact with this because he he's come from my hand as my beloved, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I would be moving heaven and earth all day long if I could remove somehow that sin or that disease. So however we picture what God is up to in heaven related to our sin in this world and grace abounding, we are we come from the hand of God as the beloved and he's moving heaven and earth in order to remove that power of sin to restore health to his beloved. And if push came to shove, and I had to be in a hospital room with my son, Caleb, and somehow the physician could take the tumor from my son, Caleb, and give it to me, thus setting Caleb free from the power of the cancer. But I will take it in me somehow, mm-hmm. and I will have to to deal with the ravages of it in its entirety and the brutality of all of that, uh, walking through those waters, um, somehow beating its power for him to be set free. As a father, I would do it yesterday without right, thought. Right. Now, here's where the grace part comes in, the last part of the story. And this is what kind of drove them to tears. And it's so interesting because they were so in hiding, understandably, around their sin. Instead of waiting in that last moment as the anesthesiologist is getting us ready to go under for the operation. And Caleb, like, rips off the mask, my son, for a second. He says, Dad, there's something I never told you. Um, and, and I need to tell you this right now because it's probably going to change your mind. He said, for my whole life, I have been eating 37 double stuffed Oreo cookies every day. You didn't know it. I've been sneaking them out of the fridge and I just keep eating them. And the reason and the origin of my tumor, I, I am the problem. The chemistry experiment that is the Oreo cookie, as I kept eating it day in and day out, caused my cells to mutate and it caused this cancer stuff. Dad, it is all my fault. You can't, no, I'm not going to let you do this. Mm-hmm. And, and where that sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. What that looks like is the heavenly father just pushes right past and says, I don't care. I'm taking it anyway. You're my mm-hmm. beloved. Mm-hmm. And and I turned around for the board. So, and I've taught these kinds of things in the past, but these, the students, Bill, were just, they were just weeping, many of them. And, and they were staying after class for, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes. They couldn't believe that they could have a God who would be so for them that the heart of the good news is that where our sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. And he, he took that power of sin and death into himself and, and broke its power, not to somehow restore God's own glory as if he's insecure or not to somehow assuage his anger as if he needs a target. He, he did it to restore health to his beloved, and that's why he came. And I, it was within the mental health crisis that is today, and it's the real deal, man. I see it in class day in and day out. I mean, students are struggling massively with mental health. One part of the remedy of this is what is our picture of God? 
And, and if we can't come into the light with the sin that is so ensnaring us and knowing that God can begin to set us free from those places, you just sit and stew in that stuff. And, mm-hmm. and it, it begins to really wreak havoc on you. It was, a, it was an interestingly catalytic class in ways that I was not anticipating. Mm. That's so interesting. It really was interesting. And if you just jumped in your car, I just want to remind you that Peter's illustration that he used was completely manufactured and made up. Your son is really not <laughs> right. in the midst of a He's gigantic cancer tumor. Yeah, no, not at all. We're using that as an example. An example. Of, I just of, think it's it's good to just remind that that sure. was used as an illustration, not your reality. Right. And and I think, but I think to, to sit in that illustration, because it isn't my reality, but I, I do think when we, when we see biblically the metaphor for sin, we so often think of it, and this is maybe more like theological weedy kind of language, mm-hmm. but when we think of sin, we think about it as a disposition that we have. So either we are unredeemed and we have a disposition that is meant for us to, to spend eternity absent from God in hell, or our disposition is somehow redeemed with imputed righteousness, some all this fancy language. But it, but the metaphor for sin in the text really is a dynamic power at work in present tense that is wreaking havoc on the beloved. And so when we understand sin as a dynamic power at work, then those illustrations like cancer, they, they help us understand what the, the the theological metaphor for sin is. It it will continue to destroy. And, and anybody who maybe has lied one time in their life, you left that, that lie on check, you'll continue to lie and you'll continue to lie and you'll continue to lie. And you just go down in these weeds of lying forever and ever. And it, and it just mangles the soul after years of lying. And, and that is a pretty good illustration of what the power of sin does. Mm-hmm. And what was the name of this class? Uh, evangelism and discipleship. Okay. So it's, it really is reframing the heart of the good news in a way that is intended to have the good news, not just be something that happens to us when we die, but consistent with um, what Jesus was up to, which is the rescuing and, and the redeeming of people from darkness. All right, maybe I'll pretend I'm in your class right now. And okay. I, and like, you got to, oh, 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 call me, call me. Oh, oh, <laughs> Bill, oh, oh. Okay, Bill, you, you have a question, Bill. Thank you, Dr. K. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's go to First Corinthians, First Corinthians two fourteen. The yeah. person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Yeah. So we talk to people who are not interested in God whatsoever. Uh, how do we put this verse in some context where we have to understand that they're living with some level of spiritual blindness? Yeah, well, and I think a considerable level of spiritual oh, yeah. blindness, right? You're dead I mean, in your sins. You're dead in your sins. And, and that's when, when, you, when you have this disease that is coursing through you, it, it's tough to, to live, and you can't live in any other way. The disease is going gonna, is gonna to win the day. But the contrast, and that is the heart of the good news, and this is what the New Testament is always inviting us into, is are you walking by the flesh, meaning walking by the power of sin, or are you walking by the Spirit? Are you, have you come alive or been made alive in the Spirit? And that's always meant to be in present tense, that that's the invitation. We walk in partnership with God by the Spirit. So for the person in that place, not walking by the Spirit, I mean, you can't persuade them, right? You, you can explain the gospel to them, but you're leaning into God to, to bring a breath of new life for them that otherwise they can't manufacture on their own. But all of that realm of walking by the Spirit in that same passage in Corinthians, it talks about that's all foolish to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it doesn't make sense in that context. So we have to be set free from all of that so we can live in partnership with the Spirit. Dr. Peter Kapsner is my guest. And Peter, when we look at the, the view of discipleship that we have, are we focusing on outcome and behavior or are we... Focusing on internal transformation. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I I don't know what your what is it, your experience has probably been similar to mine, where it's about uh, managing outcomes, managing yeah, behavior, tra- right? From yeah, the external. trying to improve behavior a little bit. Yeah. 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 But and, what good is that? 
right? Well, we that's the hard part, right? We our, our behavior, our, hmm, the way we are animated out in the world socially in terms of how people experience us, that's coming from somewhere. And and we can try to play the game of pretend, but in the in the Jewish worldview in which the Bible was written, they would have understood some concept called the heart. We talk about inviting Jesus into our heart. Um, and, and there's good reason for that phrase, because to invite Jesus into your heart means that um, in, in the Jewish worldview, the heart is the place where your hidden attitudes, where mm-hmm. your hidden values, where your hidden ways of understanding the world are. And sometimes you know what's going on in there, and oftentimes you don't. And when you're inviting Jesus into that place, you're asking him to reorder those places in your heart so that your behavior just naturally flows from those things. Real freedom in the Christian faith is not your ability to control your behavior. Real freedom is the rewiring of your heart so that you no longer desire the behavior that you're trying to control. Mm-hmm. And and that's and so when you know the truth, who is Jesus, he begins to set you free. He's doing that at the heart level or the attitude value disposition level so that you just are naturally who you are. I think I think it's Dallas Willard who says that um, as you grow in that way in your discipleship journey, an amazing simplicity will take over your, your life. And it's a simplicity that's simply just transparency. You just are who you are. You're not having to play who's behind the curtain in Oz today and, and playing the game of pretend all the mm-hmm. time. Really interesting. Dr. Peter Kapsner is my guest. We're going to uh, continue talking about where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Uh, what a comforting thought that is. That's all next. I've heard that in a while. I love that song. <laughs> that has been a while. That's old school that, walk-up yeah, music. That's, that's back great. from Bill's morning show, walk-up music, know, indeed. So Christians uh, receive grace, and then they get more grace, and then grace served on top of grace. This is, I love this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's, it, let's look at John one sixteen. It says, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Yeah, boy. That And that word grace is is related to the idea of you know, God's, I think, fundamental posture towards this world is he wants to make a home with us, with his beloved again. And he, and he wants to, and he right, talks about him creating the conditions over and over again where he can just simply be with his beloved. And that doesn't diminish God. That actually, I think, um, heightens his greatness and his willingness to do the work required. And, and that grace, he just keeps moving towards us and moving towards us and moving towards us. Now, Paul's really clear when he says, so what shall we say? Should we keep on sending so that grace might increase? Well, may it never be. That would be a silly way to understand life. But I think grace, if we if we really allow it beyond that wink and a nod, it has the capacity to break us. And, and, um, and what I mean by that is I think if all of us... Um, get honest with ourselves and sort of that raw, ruthless honesty that we can be invited into. And, and oftentimes for me, that's going to happen at maybe 11 or 1130 at night when I'm a little weary mm-hmm. and kind of the, the day's burdens are passing and, and, and I'm, 
maybe and spending I, a little bit yeah. of that stuff. And I'm not returning your text messages. Oh, I know. And that, and then I'm okay. really whipped up in my yeah, right. yeah, in my anxiety. I'm ignoring you because I'm yeah, watching I know. hockey. Yeah, well, and, and our friendship <laughs> has been conditional over these years, and so I wonder if this is this is the day. And uh, and so I'm all whipped up and wondering what's going on. But, you know, in those moments, um, being ruthlessly honest with myself, and if I just say, so what's actually really true about you, Capsner? Like, mm-hmm. what's really going on behind the scenes? And and in fairness, there, in, in the years of walking closely with Jesus over time, not for my whole life, but in seasons of my life, there's been things that have grown that are consistent with the kingdom, that have that have grown deep roots that I think I would have a hard time departing from. But there's other stuff in that ruthless honesty. I'm like, yeah, I'm a bit of a zoo right there. And mm-hmm. and more than just a zoo, I'm actually maybe causing some hurt and pain in people around me just from the way sometimes I act and interact with them. Even even as simple as um, if somebody is trying to have a conversation with me, there's maybe I'm doing five other things and I'm only kind of half present or something along those lines. And, and, mm-hmm. and I, I can see the wounding that happens to people close to me, like my kids and those kinds of things. And And I immediately want to like try to clean it up and I say, I'm sorry, God, and all the stuff that I think are the right impulses. We do want to clean those things up. We do want to do better. But I think we can go one layer deeper than that and just say, you know what? That's actually pretty rubbish uh, that I do that to people, that I am broken in these ways, that I'm frail uh, in these places. And in those places, the last person that I want to turn to oftentimes is God in the midst of that because I do feel like I need to sort of get this sorted out and then I'll come to you for my prayer time or something Mm -hmm. along those lines. But actually the invitation when we go to those layers of ruthless honesty is to just in the midst of our puddled mess is turn our face back towards God right then and just basically just say help. And there we begin to enter into the the lyrics of the beautiful song that we all know, which is amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Yeah. And, and when that grace becomes sweet and amazing in the midst of our puddled mess of stuff, it breaks us in ways that are really good. And, and, and that brokenness then leads us uh, into true life in the kingdom in those ways. And, mm-hmm. and I just think it's such an important invitation for those of us that are prone to trying really hard in our faith, and we should. But but the rigorous trying is almost always the the rigorous emptying of oneself um, and becoming honest with oneself. And mm-hmm. then, and then you, you're empowered by a different kind of energy, that being the Spirit. Yeah, talking about God's grace with Dr. Peter Kapsner. I'm still in John chapter 1, Peter, and it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among mm-hmm. us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So it's who he is. Yeah, that, that it gives it's me chills when you read it. It is. And, and John goes on to tell this beautiful story, and I think it's the ninth chapter of John, where the, the woman who is caught in the midst of adultery, and the, this is the manifestation of the grace and truth that John is describing in that early chapter, uh, uh, chapter 1, where she is likely caught right in the midst of it and is not given the chance to clean up and get herself presentable as now she's thrown into the midst of the religious elite of the day. Mm-hmm. And what shame she would have been feeling in those moments. Mm-hmm. And um, the word condemnation that Jesus is going to use with her and the religious leaders in just a minute um, in the Greek language means something akin to you don't have any hope, you don't have any future, it's over for you, it's it's done um, you've made the mess and, and, and it's over. And so um, I just, I, I, if you put yourself in the mind of this, this woman who is now caught in her shame in the midst of this horrific, uh, indefensible act, um, now she's looking out at the religious elite in front of her. The only thing she can see in her horizon as she looks out are the stones of the elite who are condemning her saying, it's over for you. You are getting the punishment that you deserve. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's in her visual horizon, but it's also in her spiritual horizon in front of her. And Jesus turns first, filled with grace, right? Filled with grace, he turns to that religious elite posture and he says, um, so by the way, 
if you're, you know, not a total knucklehead too, why don't you go ahead and cast the first stone? And of course, it reveals the the hypocrisy of the elite in that time. They have to drop their stones. And I can just imagine them as they're clearing out. Now the woman has this full, open, physical horizon in front of her, and she has a spiritual horizon in front of her. And wow. Jesus turns to her and says, um, is anybody here left to condemn you? And she says, no. And he says, well, neither do I, meaning that in my kingdom, even though you've been chucked into my midst in this broken, shameful, undefensible mess, you still have hope and future in my kingdom. Like it, it, the absurd good news that that is. And then he says, and let's maybe go ahead and leave that life of sin. It's not, yeah. it's not a good, so grace and truth working together. But if you come with the truth before you come with grace, it's almost really, it, the truth feels like a hammer. Um, but the truth is needed. You can't just go grace without then that, let's stop living that way. You're wreaking havoc on yourself and this person that you're committing the act of infidelity with, anybody around you. That's not the way to live. But the way we're going to clear out that way to live is we're going to say, in my kingdom, there's always hope and future. It's amazing. Jesus is always inserting himself into uncomfortable situations. Yeah, he doesn't seem to be terribly afraid of it all. Not at all. <laughs> not <laughs> just, at all. Yeah. So you, you talk about the grace he brings first yeah. and then the truth he he gives I wonder sometimes if we're sitting around uh, in our protective bubbles thinking, well, I'm not going to go there or I'm Mm. not going to be in this situation or I don't want to be exposed in this environment. And that's really, Jesus was constantly uh, seeking the people on the margins. He really was. I just, I gosh, I mean, I think that's really well spotted, um, Bill. I mean, if we, again, if we just let the Bible be the Bible and don't read our existing theology into the Bible, which we all do. Um, and you and you see who he hangs out with and and what people then accused him of because of who he was hanging out with. They said those words, well, you are must be a sinner too. Look who's at your table. Totally. And the people he invited and and Guilt by association, right? Totally. Yeah. And and yet in the grace of the table, he was leading them into the truth of the kingdom. And and some of those people that were sitting at those tables became incredible people of wisdom and stature and power by kingdom metrics, maybe not by the religious elite metrics, but by kingdom metrics, what they were able to wield, having started in this journey of grace, coming to the one who was filled with grace and truth. Holy cow. I mean, that changed the world. I mean, that was the book of Acts. There were not a lot of people in the book of Acts that were like, yeah, I've got my PhD. I'm all set to go. (laughs) It didn't work that way. Yeah. And you think the elites wanted him dead and his followers were mildly confused at times, to say the least. (laughs) Right. Like you and me. His family uh, thought he was nuts and he was homeless. Yeah, he was, and you're right. The, and, and the religious elite were so concerned with the with the usurping of their own power, um, because power was always judged in that worldview by how many disciples or followers you had. And and those religious people claimed to have a take on kingdom life that was worth following. And so, uh, the followers that they had, it was both the number, but it was the quality of the followers. And they were always choosing the brightest and fighting over the brightest Torah. Um, learners of that day, you had to be very bright in the scriptures to maybe have a chance to be a part of the religious elite that would take you on as followers. Jesus is pointing around to fishermen that can't fish and like, yeah, why don't you follow me too? <laughs> and some dude sitting under a tree, yeah, you go ahead and follow me. Yeah. And a tax collecting swindler, you follow right. me too. And yeah, all of these crazy. people, it, I mean, the it, they were so threatened because he was demonstrating a different kind of power and they could never get past it. They couldn't mm-hmm. sort it out. But when we talk about uh, the Old Testament and we, we do that on Wednesdays at five o'clock Love that Central series. Time. Love yeah, that series. We're excited about. We're going to hear about Tamar tomorrow. Yeah, Rebecca Tamar Ree. tomorrow. Yeah, Doctor Rebecca Ree is going to join us. But when I think of God dealing with Israel, he he did involve grace and truth, but wasn't the emphasis more on obedience and and actually punishment? It was, but but it was so long they, suffering. I mean, the the grace was oh, that the, yeah. that the judgment was often postponed. 
Yes. You know, and so it was, it, he did, but, but that was not his first move. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about being slow to anger and rich in compassion and mercy, that, that he continues to woo and continues to woo, but he also will not let his unfolding future ever be compromised. And so if at the end of the day, his image bearers will not say yes to what it is that he's inviting them into, he will then move against them in that judgment, not because he has to somehow prove he's much more powerful, but because he's cutting off that generation so a new generation can be birthed that will be obedient to his way of life. Yeah. Well, we've only got about a minute left here, and I think it might be fun to uh, hear your observation on the end of Tom Brady's career. Because well, I that was we, a thing. we both love sports. And you think about it, he has participated in 20% of all Super Bowls. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, won seven, he's been in 11. You know, what have we had 53 or 54? So what is that? That's a lot. Yeah, yeah. I can't do all that yeah, math, but yeah. you know, that's a lot. I mean, he is, I don't remember football without I him. Can't I literally can't remember what it was like to watch a, a Sunday set of games without Tom Brady somehow looming over the entire picture. Because even, even if your team was decent, uh, and you were not a New England Patriots or later on a Tampa Bay Bucks fan. If your team was decent, you you knew you had to go through Tom Brady at the end of the day if you had any chance. That's and, so true. Yeah. And me being a Minnesota Vikings fan, there's never any real hope <laughs> to begin with. <laughs> so, but you knew Brady was there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much uh, for being here today. That was so I, fun. You're incredibly wise, and I enjoy you tremendously. And obviously, I think people know that. No, oh, it's just been such a blast yeah, to be part of so this whole faith radio team like so this. So much Absolutely. fun, yeah. So yeah. after a short break, we're going to get into, in the beginning with uh, Jeff Verdorn, we're going to do start a four-part series on uh, the beginning of uh, creation. I can't wait. That's, That's so exciting. Next. Jeff is I great. Know. I know. It's all next. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.